Scripture reading this morning will be taken from the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. In your pew Bibles, that is found on page 1050, 1050. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. And again, if you're visiting with us, we welcome you. It's good to have you this morning. It encourages us by you being here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. We do welcome the Cravens family and the Long family and the Moore family. What a blessing it is to have them as a part of our family here at Mount Juliet to worship together and to serve God together. And let's make sure that that we do get to know them and support them and encourage them. And we look forward to them doing the same for us. God has richly blessed us. And let's be sure and be mindful of all of those blessings. And one of the blessings that God has given us is each other. And let's be sure that we're wise stewards with that blessing. It's easy to be misunderstood. I think back to shortly after Tracy and I had been married, we were friends with a couple that they had been high school sweethearts and also sweethearts in college. And after dating for five or six years, she knew that it was time for uh, her boyfriend to, to give her an engagement ring. And Christmas was nearing, so in her mind, she just knew that he was going to give her a ring for Christmas. Was the time near, he even said to her, this year, your Christmas gift will come in a small package. And she got so excited. Later on, he even said to her, it's going to be shiny. On another occasion, he even said to her, this gift means a whole lot to me. I think you'll like it. Now, what I'm about to tell you, it's going to be hard for you to believe that he was sincere with all that he said and did. But he really was. When Christmas Day came, he was so excited. He brought out this little package and he gave to her. And you can imagine the anger that she had when she unwrapped a nickel-plated pistol. She wanted, perhaps even needed, something else from her boyfriend. He did not fulfill that need. The text that's been so capably read for us here even though it's not stated directly, as we begin this morning, I want you to notice something about that text. The Lord lays out three different groups of people. Not that everybody even falls within these three groups. But in this particular verse, He lays out three groups of people. And He says to us, we're going to need to offer different things to each one of them. Have you ever noticed how pat answers gets on your nerves? Have you ever had a teacher that, that they try to answer every student exactly the same and, and it comes across as them not caring for the individual? It comes across as them just trying to get a job done instead of really trying to relate and trying to teach. Can you imagine an elder or minister or, or a deacon or, or just a faithful Christian that wants to go out and serve others? Can you imagine them going to a hospital, then going to a funeral home, then going to the home of someone that's just visited for the first time, 
And going to the home of someone who's going through a very difficult time with a rebellious child. And can you imagine that individual saying the very same things everywhere they go? It always comes across as shallow. It comes across as not even getting below the surface. It almost comes across as rude. Friends, what I hope that we get out of this lesson is I hope that we see that one of the things that God intends for us to do is to see each other and see what's going on in each other's lives. In other words, we're going to need to listen. Not always be the one doing the talking. And we're going to have to love each other enough to listen. And then when we do listen, we're going to have to love each other enough to offer what each other needs. Not little pat answers and always the same statements and always the same actions. This morning, I hope that it will be a benefit in all of our lives. Because if as a church family we do this better, we're going to be served better. And if we as individuals do it better, we're going to serve each other better. As we look to this text, I want you to notice again there in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 14. That's been so capably read for us. Notice he talks about those that are unruly. And there's something very different that we do with those individuals. We warn them or we admonish them. But then we also see the faint-hearted. They don't need warning or admonishing. They need someone to comfort them. But then notice it. Towards the last of verse 14, he says, to the weak, they need someone to come and and hold to them, to support them. Now with this in mind, I would like to lay out, and and I'm going to try to do this quickly, because I'm almost afraid that, that what we're going over in a sense is a given. But as I studied through it this week, it amazed me at how this is so true in so many passages. And because I began to see it almost everywhere through the Bible, I thought, wow, we need to take some time and really develop that. So let's take a few minutes. If you will, drop back in your Bible to the short book of Jude, toward the end of your New Testament. And notice as we read 22 and 23, how here is another example where the Lord is saying, you're going to have to deal differently with some people than you would with other people. As we read Jude 22 and 23, I'll read it first from the King James, and then you'll notice it from the NAS on the, on the screen. Here we're reading Jude 22. He says, And on some have compassion, making a distinction. You see, in other words here, if this translation is correct, the Lord is saying here, you're going to have to be able to distinguish between different individuals. What's going on in their life? What do they need at that particular time? Now notice as we go into 23, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments defiled by the flesh. Now, I'm not trying to set translation opposed to translation here. I simply want you to note something. This is a passage that has given scholars a real time for ages and ages. In other words, you're never going to find one group of scholars where everybody agrees and says, yes, this is exactly how to translate it. It's difficult wording and it's difficult phrases. And so some scholars say there's two groups of people that's spoken of here. Others say, no, there's three groups of people spoken here. Now, really, either way, it doesn't matter uh, because both, it's telling us all three of those, we're to reach out to them, we're to help them in some way. Now, notice this as we read the NAS in, in 22 and 23. And we're going to see these three groups. Have mercy on some who are doubting. 
You say that might be the faint-hearted. That might be the weak. And so what are we to be? We're to be merciful to them. But notice 23. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. You see, that would be those that are unruly. And we go and we admonish them. But notice this next group. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garments polluted by the flesh. Notice that last group. We have mercy on them. Christians always hate to see someone fall into a life of sin. But we have mercy on them with fear, realizing that they, nothing in this passage says they're going to step out of that life of sin. So we go to them and we admonish them and we have mercy upon them, but they may not turn from that life of sin. And as Galatians 6, 1 would teach us at the end of the, that uh, verse 1, that we need to go to them in the spirit of meekness, considering ourselves, lest we also be tempted. So in other words, when he says you go within mercy and fear, we go with fear that, hey, we do not need to be drawn into the same sins that they're drawn into. But for this text this morning, notice this simple point. There's three individuals that are mentioned here, three groups. And the Lord teaches us we deal with each one a little bit differently. With one, that first group, we're going to go and we're going to have compassion. We're going to have mercy upon them. But then there's another group. We're literally going to snatch them out of the fire. In other words, we're going to deal more strongly with them. We're going to admonish them. We're going to warn them. Notice this same principle as we go to 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter. 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, we're going to read the word when several times. And this word when is going to define what Paul was trying to accomplish. In other words, if you read much leadership stuff today, if you read things that's written on on being a visionarian and etc., you're going to see that a lot of writers are writing on defining the when. In other words, if a group of people are going to move from point A to point B, someone has to define what B is. In other words, how do we know that we've accomplished what we want to accomplish? What is a when? And so here, he defines what he is trying to do. What is a win in the life of Paul? But notice, he realizes that if he's going to have a win among various people, that he's going to have to treat these people differently. Notice as we read here, the ninth chapter of 1 Corinthians, beginning at verse 19. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. Now, when he says, I made myself a servant to all, he literally is saying here, I brought myself under bondage of other people. It's the same line of thinking that Paul said in Romans 1 and 14 when he says, I became a debtor uh, to the Greek and the barbarians, the wise and the unwise. In other words, he literally views himself as a servant of these people. And so here's what he says, because he wants to win the more. Look at 20. He gives us some groups here. To the Jews... I became as a Jew that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak, I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men. Now here's where he defines a win. That I might by all means, now you would think, reading down as we have already that that he's going to say here that I might win. But you see, he defines the win here, that I might save some. Now notice this isn't about pride for Paul. Look why he does it. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partakers of it with you. So what does he do here? 
Now, since we're only using this as an introductory point, we don't have time to develop each one of these. But think about this. He says, when I go to a Jew, I go to a Jew in one mindset. I try to relate to that Jew in some ways. He's not sacrificing righteousness. He's not uh, going in opposition to Christianity. He's simply saying, what is it that I can do to identify with a Jew? When I go to one that's living under the law, the old law of Moses, I want to be able to identify with them. When I go to a Gentile, a heathen, one that is not living under the old law, I want to identify with them. I want to start out on the same page with them. And he says, when I go to the weak, I want to be able to stand with them. Paul, why are you trying to be different things to different people? Are you hypocritical? Are you two-faced, three-faced, four-faced, five-faced? What's wrong with you, Paul? He says, oh, no. I'm trying to reach individuals because I want to win souls. Friends, the teaching is all through the scriptures. How important it is for us to see individuals if we're ever going to reach them. Think with me about two Major examples in the book of Acts. On the screen, you're going to see some passages in Acts, mentioned throughout Acts. And the fourth one down, you're going to see that it says Acts 8. That should say Acts 10. That's talking about Cornelius there. But just by way of introduction this morning, let's just look at Acts 2 and then let's compare Acts 16. Why is it that when the question is asked in the scriptures, what must I do in talking about to be saved? Why are different answers given to the same question? Now, as we answer this, I want you to think about this. If someone asked directions to New York, what directions would you give? Well, wouldn't you have to know first where they're beginning? Are they beginning in California or Oklahoma or Tennessee? You see, the directions that you give someone in New York is going to vary based upon where they're beginning. You see, even throughout the book of Acts, the thing that stands out is that the Lord worked through the lives of men and women to teach individuals to take them where they were to where they needed to be. So by the time Acts, the second chapter and 37, those individuals asked what they needed to do to be saved, they had just heard a sermon that convinced them that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah and also they were convicted of their sins. And so they were told to repent and be baptized. But yet, in Acts the 16th chapter, the Philippian jailer, when he first asked the question what he must do to be saved, the very first thing told to him was that you need to believe. Why? Because he was an unbeliever. He didn't know Jesus of Nazareth. He did not know to be convicted of his sins. And so that was the beginning point. What's the point? The point is we can't help people the way the Lord intends for us to help people if our idea is I'm going to give everybody a pat answer about everything in life. The Lord teaches us, the Lord gives us example after example to say, see the individual. Look at this next example in Acts. In Acts, we even can compare two sermons. In Acts, the second chapter, as we've already mentioned, we see the sermon that Peter preached in 14 through 39. And it was the sermon that he preached to Jews. So he quoted from the prophets. He spoke about the great King David. He spoke of their guilt of crucifying Jesus. And it was very effective for that crowd. Now we read another sermon that is a marvelous sermon in Acts the 17th chapter. But you know what? There's not a prophet quoted. David isn't mentioned here. Why? Because here he is preaching to a group that are idol worshipers. They don't know the Almighty God. You know what he does do? He begins on the same page with them. 
I notice that you have an inscription to an unknown God. You see, he's becoming all things to all men. And he begins with that common ground to then say, let me teach you about that unknown God. He wants to be known. He's not far from any of you. Just before that, he says he's the creator of all, even them. And then he quoted their poets. In him we move and live and have our very being. A powerful sermon he preached concluding about the need to repent, to be prepared for the day of judgment because we'll stand before that one that has been resurrected from the dead. Friends, what's the point? The point is simply this. An individual relationships and even approaching vast audiences. We see the example all throughout the scriptures. We need to care for the crowd or for the individual, depending on if it's public or private. But we need to know the individual. In other words, this morning, wouldn't it be a shame if someone was visiting here and we just saw all visitors alike? I can assure you if there's more than one person visiting here, they're not the same. Wouldn't it be a shame if everybody in this congregation viewed their brothers and sisters all alike? You know, we have different personalities. We have different needs. We're at different ages and stages of life. Not only that, we are in different situations in life. You see, I could just say the word job, and there would be some here that that would bring a warm emotional feeling because you just got a promotion. There would be someone else probably here that that would be a very negative emotion that would run through because of stress. We could talk about health. We could talk about relationships. And the emotions would vary so much. Why? The point is this. We are different people at different places with different struggles or different challenges or even different rewards in life. And we need to see each other. Let's look at one more example. Look with me, if you will, to Titus, the second chapter. We've been looking at, at ways that, of, of restoring and encouraging. We've been looking at ways of converting and of sermons. But before we leave this thought, I'd like for you to look with me to Titus, the second chapter. And this really even reveals why we strive to accomplish what we strive to accomplish in our Bible classes. You see, in this one paragraph here, we have five different individuals listed. Now... Do you think it's God's will that every class have the same topic and everything be taught the same as if God's word is just a pat answer? You know, there are even people that call themselves Christians that believe that we should never divide up into smaller groups and study the word of God together. Friends, Titus 2 shows us something that's very revealing. Now, let's look at this. He says in verse 1, But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. So he's telling Titus, I want you to teach sound, healthy doctrine. So what are you going to say here? And he says to the older men, here's what he's supposed to teach them. Be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, and love and patience. And then he says, now to the older women, and he doesn't give that same list that he gave to the older men. Now he says, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. And now notice what he says for the older women to do. That they admonish the young women. Why? Here's what young women need according to God. 
to love their husbands, to love their children, be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the Word of God may not be blasphemed. Now notice, young men need something different. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing to yourself a, to be a pattern of good works and doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say. And then of all things, now he doesn't just talk about the difference of sexes and the difference of ages. Now look what he does in classes here in verse 9. Exhort bond servants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, uh, not answering back, not pelfering, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Friend, this is just one example of several examples in the Scriptures where the Lord says, listen, there are different stages of life. There are even a difference in male and female. There's even a difference of their situation in life. In this day and time, the question would be, are you a bondservant or are you a master? He had some things in other verses that he said to the masters. What's the point? I hope I haven't stayed on it too long, but the point is this. The Lord always intended for us to serve and to help each other by seeing individuals. That's why we have men's classes, women's classes. That's why we have young marriage classes and then other classes for couples that are at a different stage in life. That's why we have classes for those that are single or those that are married or those that are in college, etc. Why? Because we honestly want to reach out with the Word of God and help individuals. Friends, when we talk about a church and we think about a family of God of several hundred, we miss the point if we take our eyes off the individuals. What is it we can do to help the individuals? In the last few minutes, I'd like for you to think with me of three things that he says about three groups of individuals. Let's go back to our text in 1 Thessalonians. Back to our text in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 14, he says this, The unruly need warning. Now, we've talked even last week as we studied the two previous verses about honoring our elders and knowing our elders. And one of the responsibilities that God gave elders was to admonish us. And the word admonish means to warn. And remember last week we even read over in Acts, the 20th chapter, where Paul went and he warned them night and days with, with tears in his eyes. Uh, he gave them the warning and the warning was not to heed to the false teachers. You see, there are times when individuals live an unruly or a disordered Life. The idea of this is, is literally a soldier that is out of rank, a soldier that's become insubordinate. When, when a soldier's in rank and he's fulfilling the responsibilities that's given to him, he's orderly. Disorderly is one, when one steps out of the rank. So what are we to do with the one that's disorderly? The previous verse has told us that the elders are to admonish them. But now it's interesting that we read here in verse 14, and he says also it's responsibility of all brothers and sisters in Christ. Friends, it's not our responsibility to report everything to the elders. Now, I'm not suggesting to you that it's bad to have good communication with the elders. But I'm simply saying that God gives us responsibility also. If I have a friend that is a Christian and that friend is becoming unruly for the love of their soul, I may want the elders to talk with them and pray with them. But if I really love their soul, I'm going to be willing to admonish them also. Now, we see an example 
of disorderly and the need to admonish in 2 Thessalonians, the third chapter. In verse 10 through 15, we see in 2 Thessalonians, the third chapter, that there were some in 10 that would not work. And so they were told, their admonishment was, you don't need to eat then. And notice what he says in verse 11. For we hear that there are some who walk, that's talking about daily conduct, among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busy bodies. So you see, these individuals had rebelled against the order of God. God's order was that each person would go out and work and provide for their own family. And so they had rebelled against that. Now, probably the reason they had rebelled against it was they honestly thought Jesus was coming right then. And so they were quitting their jobs, which was a mistake. And so now he is admonishing them. He's teaching them that they need to get back to work. They need to stop being busybodies, etc. Now notice this as we skip down to verse 15. He says, yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now the previous verse in 14 even noted the fact that the admonishment might be so strong that it requires discipline. You note the individual and don't eat with them to bring shame into their life. You see, the point is this. Admonishing can be pretty strong at times, but it's always done out of love. It's not done because we become an enemy of the individual, but it's because we love the individual. Now back up a page or two, back again to 1 Thessalonians 5. Notice the second thing that he talks about, and he says, comfort the faint-hearted. What is it to be faint-hearted? It's the idea of being discouraged. It doesn't mean that one is weak. In other words, any of us in any spiritual maturity, any level of spiritual maturity can have times in our life because of situations that we become faint-hearted. Many here have experienced hard and difficult losses in your life. And even though you are at a good level spiritual maturity, it still leaves you faint. It leaves you feeling like you need some support. You need people around you to comfort you. It can be situations of our own health. It can be situations of relationships. It can be situations of life and death and etc. The point is this. What are we supposed to do? You know, there are some people that want to give pat answers. Well, I tell you what you need to do. You just need to get yourself by the bootstraps and pick you up. Don't you know that God loves you? Don't you know that God's going to work all things out for good? What's wrong with you, huh? Get with it. Sounds like admonishment, doesn't it? The Lord said you don't treat someone that's faint-hearted like that. Well, how are you going to know the difference? You're going to have to sit down and listen to them. You're going to have to know them. You're going to have to care enough about them. You're going to have to love them. To be able to know, is this someone rebelling? Or is this someone that's faint-hearted? There's a beautiful passage over in Isaiah. It speaks of our Lord. I'd like for you to think about what our Lord said through this prophecy He was coming to this earth to do. And then think about, do you and I look and imitate our Lord? Do we look like our Lord? Do we imitate our Lord in this? Let's look in Isaiah 42. He says in verse 3 and 4, A bruised reed He will not break, and smoking flax He will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth, He will not, now notice this phrase here for four, because it ties back into the first two phrases of three. He will not fail nor be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands shall wait for the law. What do you say about a bruised reed? You know, in agriculture or whatever, you take that bruised reed and, oh, it's it's a weak, it's a bruised reed, you throw it out. And Jesus says, I'm not going to throw it out. 
I'm going to nurture it. I'm going to bring it back to health. Smoking flax, that's, that's the wick. You know, when a wick begins smoking, it's just barely burning. Is he going to go and just crush it out, get a new wick? He says, no. I'm going to trim it. I'm going to fuel it. I'm going to get that wick to burning brightly again. How did Jesus do it? Friends, we could read through verse after verse after verse through the New Testament. One of the greatest examples of Jesus taking a bruised reed or smoking flax is when the woman was drugged before him and and she was accused of being called in the very act of adultery. You remember what Jesus did? Bowed to the ground and began writing in the ground. Then he said, whichever one of you is sinless, cast the first stone. He went back to writing in the ground and slowly one by one, beginning with the oldest to the youngest, they began to depart from him. You see, the problem here was not that they wanted the law upheld. The scriptures tells us clearly they were simply trying to trap Jesus and they were willing to do it at the expense of this woman's life. Jesus was looking at a woman that was a bruised reed. She was looking, he was looking at someone that needed comfort, needed support. It was a faint heart and Jesus wasn't going to allow the people to destroy this bruised reed. And then he turned to the woman, not to condone any sin, but to tell her, now go and sin no more. Friends, what would we have done? Do we see individuals as faint-hearted and they need some kind of encouragement? But then finally this morning, notice as we go back to our text, we see also the weak need support. Now for time's sake, let me just mention this to you. The weak need support. The English word that we translate this oftentimes is to uphold. We think of it as literally holding someone up. I wonder if we don't do that because it sure would be a lot easier than what the real Greek understanding of the verb is. The Greek understanding is more of hold to, not hold up. You realize you can't change someone's life. You can't make a weak person strong. Wouldn't it be great if you could go over to someone that's weak? And by the way, sometimes weak is translated in the scripture as sick. It's also the same as when Jesus said the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So sometimes it's being overcome by temptation. Wouldn't it be great if we could go to the weak individual and we could just say, Hey, I'm the strong brother or sister here and I'm just here to pick you up. Now we're both strong. Let's go. It doesn't work that way, does it? What does it mean to be to hold up here. It's the idea of holding to. It's the idea of cleaving. It's the idea of saying, you're struggling. I want to be with you during this time of struggle. We're not going to form two churches here. We're not going to have the A team, the strong members of the Mount Juliet Church of Christ. And we're going to have the B team, the weak members of the Church of Christ. These are the ones, according to 1 Corinthians 8, they may be struggling with some of the things that they've come out of, idol worship. Or Romans the 14th chapter, they may still have some religious holidays that they want to cling to. They don't violate the Christian teachings. But they want to cling to those. They are the weak brothers and and we're going to separate ourselves. You remember what he says in Romans 14? This is very, very descriptive of what the term is here of holding to. He doesn't say, hold up the weak brother. Romans 14, 1, he says, receive the weak brother. Pull them close. You go and you surround them. What we need, we need family. When we have strong families surrounding us, we tend to grow. When we have stronger family members stiff-arming us, we tend to fall away. 
What do we do to the unruly? We admonish them. What do we do to the faint-hearted that situations have come up in their life? We go and we encourage them. What do we do to the weak? We go and surround them, make them a middle part of the family. This morning, I hope you and I value individually each other. God does. God sent His His Son to the world to die for the world. But that includes each of us individually. If you've not been baptized in Christ for your mission, your sins, please realize that there's a Heavenly Father that sees you as an individual this morning and He wants you to be saved. Please realize that there's a church family surrounding you right now that the best of our ability, we want to see you as an individual. We want to welcome you and encourage you and strengthen you and whatever individual needs that you have. We're not perfect. We're working on that. We're working on being a better family all the time. But if we can help you and serve you in any way, please let us know. If you want to be baptized into Christ or you want to be restored this morning, if we can help you in any way, come.